Welcome to Always and Forever, a One Tree Hill podcast where two lifelong friends and superfans analyze and dissect the greatest teen show from the early 2000s. This week we are discussing The Wind That Blew My Heart Away, the 13th episode of Season 3, which was written by Stacey Rukeyser, directed by David Jackson, and originally aired on the WB on February 1st, 2006. And uh, a little sad thing about Stacey Rukeyser, this is the last episode she wrote of the series. Are you serious? Yeah, very sad. And we love her. Because I was about to say, dang, Stacy and David, like, wow, <laughs> this was like a stellar episode. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, however, I gotta say, Stacey Rukeyser continued collecting her paychecks, though, because something I learned recently, um, I had no idea that TV writers uh, collected character payments as royalties. Do you know what character payments are? No. Great. I get to explain it to you. I was hoping you would say no, so I could explain it. (laughs) (laughs) Anywho, when uh, when a TV writer creates a character, quote unquote, and that literally means just writing the scripts for that episode, that character appears in first, then they will collect a check for each subsequent episode that character appears in. You know which episode Stacey Rukeyser wrote? She wrote season three, episode four, which is the first episode that Rachel appeared in. Oh, interesting. So that means each episode that Rachel had appears in beyond this point, Stacey Rukeyser collected a little check. And I love that for her. And this is like in any show? Yeah. That's a thing? Yeah. Huh. It's part of the Writer's Guild of America. It's a role. Mm-hmm. The more you know. Wow. Uh-huh. Exactly. So go, Stacey. We love you. <laughs> Collect those <laughs> coins. <laughs> yes. She has written some really great episodes of this show. Mm-hmm. The one that's immediately coming to mind is the slumber party in season two. Yep, same. Mm. Same with me. So, so good. But anyway, let's celebrate her by discussing this episode right here. Let's do it. Always and Forever is spoiler free, but stay tuned after the credits for a fully spoiled discussion. Somebody told me that this is the place where everything's better and everything's safe. And we want to keep this a safe space for you. So that's why we want to warn you that this episode includes discussions of death and grief. Please take care while listening. Thank you. The lights go out in Tree Hill as a big storm brews, both literally and metaphorically. Dan uses this opportunity to break into Keith's house and finds a key to a safety deposit box. When he opens the box, he finds the ledger that Lucas stole from his office. Karen tells Keith she loves him after the two get intimate. Nathan and Haley take this alone time to have honest conversations about college plans and Chris and Haley's music. Nathan realizes that he shouldn't have made Haley choose between him and her music. He then shows Haley a box of newspaper clippings he saved proving he was always proud of her music, even when they were separated. And in true Naily fashion, they share a passionate kiss in the rain. Hot. And wet. (laughs) Should I say it's wet? (laughs) In the end, Nathan and Haley decide to apply to both Duke and Stanford and see what happens. Brooke becomes upset when she reads one of Lucas's letters and notices that he used the same phrase in a letter he once wrote to Peyton. Lucas lists all the reasons he loves Brooke, and they share a passionate kiss in the rain as well. Math visits Rachel in her bedroom and tries to kiss her during the blackout. 
but then apologizes for what he did. Rachel tries to build his confidence, but Mouth tells Rachel that one day he will find a girl who he won't have to play games with, and they'll love each other for who they are. Rachel offers to kiss Mouth, but he declines until she has feelings for him too. Ellie and Peyton spend their last day together and discuss their happiest and saddest songs. Ellie shares a happy memory about attending a rained out concert at the Meadow where she heard the replacements perform an acoustic version of Here Comes a Regular. Peyton asks Ellie for answers about her cancer, but Ellie tells her to focus on the living. While it's still raining, they drive in Peyton's car with the top down. Ellie returns home and slowly passes away as she listens to Here Comes a Regular on her record player. Sometime later, when Peyton receives the finished copies of the Friends with Benefit CDs, she goes to visit Ellie, but finds that she has passed. Peyton drives off to the meadow to spread Ellie's ashes. As she dumps the ashes from the urn, Peyton tearfully speaks out into the universe. Say hi to my mom. Mom. Well, uh... I was I wanted to give a good like funny intro, but after reading that recap, it sounds kind of sad now, Caitlin. So thank you for that for writing that. Um, but I'm sorry. I guess I'll move forward with my joke anyway. Uh, wondering where my Powerpuff Girls nightlight is when I need it. I am Jeremy Rodriguez. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. <laughs> And driving with the top down in the rain, I'm Caitlin Ellenich. Hell yes. What an epic moment. Oh, honestly. so good. This this episode. This I don't know if I'm emotionally ready to talk about it. Still. <laughs> I knew this episode was coming for a while. Yeah. And I mean, and, and there's a lot of like uh happy cry moments littered throughout as well. And I'm focusing on those two. So I feel like I'm just like I am full of emotions, and I just watched this like an hour before we started recording, so so it's fresh in my mind. Yeah, I actually watched it an extra time than I usually do. Yeah. Just because there were so many good scenes and so many pieces of dialogue, and I, I couldn't write it all down. <laughs> I wrote down like my key things, but there was just so much, and I wanted it more fresh in my head yeah like uh the other day because you know i usually i usually watch the episode twice like once like you know once to take my notes and then a second time like right before we record but this time i was like like, like I, I took my notes and then i'm like i have to watch this a second time and then my third time was today so i actually watched this episode three times and wow i just really really enjoy it this is a five out of five i don't care if i give a spoiler away <laughs> Oh, snap! You're revealing that now? <laughs> yeah, I'm just like, I, I feel like, come on, there's there's no way, like, you can't tell this is a five out of five. Yeah, it's a five out of five for me, too. But I guess we should talk about this song, which is uh, based on the, see, I can't even speak because I'm so, like, emotional right now, Caitlin. <laughs> <laughs> this episode is titled after the song by the Fruit Bats, The Winds That Blew My Heart Away. And what did you think about this song? Um, so I thought this song, I th- I feel like the title is interesting to me, The Wind That Blew My Heart Away, because it's almost like the wind kind of blew through and like took a piece of your heart. That's kind of how I am interpreting it. Oh, yeah? Um, like if you think, obviously, a piece of, of Peyton's heart is now missing because of Ellie's death, um... But I feel like it works for that 
storyline, but it doesn't necessarily work for, like, the other storylines. Because I feel like Nathan and Haley, they really reconnected in this episode. Which, the wind that blew my heart away. Like, I feel like they, they're more in love than they have been. You know, than, than we've seen them for a long time. So right. kind of, it's almost like the wind took their breath away in this moment because they like finally connected and agreed on there was just so much that they like laid on the table in this episode and were able to talk about so i guess that's a way that you could kind of interpret the song too what about you i'm really thinking more so of the title the lyrics weren't like major oh i actually did a huge connection in my mind you, you have a connection? Yeah, actually. Because I felt like the overall theme of the song was just about uh, stop cleaning to the past and then move on and try living your life, which yeah. that was literally said between Ellie and Peyton. Like, start living your life. Every song ends. Is that any reason not to enjoy the music? That whole thing. Um, we see Brooke and Lucas. They're trying to let go of their past so they can move forward. I have a little bit of issues with this storyline, but we'll, <laughs> we'll get into those later. And same thing with Nathan and Haley. They're not cleaning to the past anymore either, and they're trying to move forward. Because the one lyric that really uh, stuck out to me was, Turn this plane around right now, because I'm done with all this shit. Save yourself, save yourself, because I'm sinking with this ship. I, I just kind of took that in a positive uh, light, personally. Yeah, that they're like done with the past and they want to move and focus, move on and focus on the future. Yeah, yeah I can definitely see that too, and I think that for sure relates to Naily and Brucus in this mm-hmm. episode. Anyway, let's get into the good stuff. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so the one thing I love about this episode is that it jumps right into the action. Like right after the previously on, we see Lucas head into head into Brooke's apartment. You know, he's getting he's all soaking wet because of the rainstorm. And, you know, Brooke is like so, so happy. She's like, oh my god, you had the letter for me? And then all of a sudden she reads the letter. She's very, very happy. And then she gets the last line. And then like she just turns. The smoke alarm goes off. And that's a giant on-the-nose metaphor right there. <laughs> True. And then the lights shortly thereafter go out. Mm-hmm. I know. I agree. I really liked how the episode started because you are thrown into the action right away. And the various pairings, like it goes through each of the pairings at the very beginning. And mm-hmm. like you see who everyone is, who everyone is with during the blackout. So, yeah, it, I don't feel like they didn't miss a beat. They just... They got right to it. And I feel like there was so much meat in this episode. Like, they had to do that. Yeah, In order to get all of it uh, conveyed. Absolutely. But first off, let's talk a little bit about what happens between Brooke and Lucas. Brooke reads that line in the letter. It says, you're mine forever. Which was the exact same line that Lucas wrote to Peyton. And there's a lot of flyers to this. I can understand why Brooke is insecure. Um... But I can also understand, like, you know, Lucas may be right in that line. It's probably not something he was thinking about. Like, that could be something he probably writes to any girlfriends. But, of course, with Brooks insecurities, that's not... It doesn't look very good for her, in particular. I know. I'm just so tired of this story. I want to just bang my head against the wall. Because... <laughs> oh, no! I really do, because it's it's frustrating, and I'm bore, bored of this whole anxiety that Brooke has, and I, while I understand it, it's it's just like, it's gotten so old. Um, Yes, I feel like Lucas was not thinking that he wrote that line. He also makes a good point uh, that he never even sent that letter to Peyton. 
Yeah, and then Brooke uh, comes back with the with the comeback. Like uh, she didn't send the letters to him either, but they still meant something. Yeah. So you can feel one of two ways. But one of the things I really don't like, I don't like how Lucas is. It seems like he's gaslighting her. Um, he says like, "Oh, you wouldn't have seen that letter from Peyton if you weren't sleeping through my closet." And I'm just like, "Like Lucas, that, that's as Brooke says, that's so not the point." You know, I I get it. I don't know if I really see that as gaslighting. It is not the point. But Lucas has got to be tired defending himself, too. I can understand that, yeah. It can be frust- it can be frustrating on his ends, but I don't know, like and I will do a I'll do a good comparison between Nathan and Haley later on when we start talking about Nathan and Haley's storyline here. But Nathan and Haley do it right. Well, you know, because like Haley has some insecurities and Nathan does a lot of does a good job of reassuring her. I don't think Lucas is. And the fact that he calls her psychotic. Well I'm not a fan. No, I don't like that either. I don't want to sound like I'm totally defending Lucas, but like she does kind of turn and he like her mood turns so radically and she doesn't explain herself. So like that that I can understand. Yeah, you, she doesn't explain you're just herself kind of right like, away. Okay, why are you acting like this? Like what's your problem, you know? Yeah, like that's like a normal reaction. Uh yeah, like she hits the flashlight against him and she and he's like what's that for? And she's like cuz you're an ass. And she doesn't explain herself or like what she's feeling. That yeah, that that's I pretty dramatic. That's that's <laughs> frustrated. So, okay, maybe I can take back a little bit about like uh because at least with Haley's situation, Haley like expressed her insecurities, but Haley always communicated that Brooke didn't necessarily do that. So I guess I have space for Lucas's frustration a little bit, just a little bit. Yeah, I, I can see both sides. Um, I think ugh, just Brooke can't let it go. And I feel like she's almost looking, she's looking for things. She needs Lucas to convince her over and over and over again. And whatever he does, it only lasts temporarily, and then she needs it again. It's kind of complicated, because I feel like the story is just going, it's going on, it's the same thing over and over again. And Brooke isn't satisfied with the outcome, ever, it seems. She's never, like, sure. It's like she's self-sabotaging a little bit. I think so. She so they're in the rain, you know. Well, of course they're standing. Why would you have that blowout argument in the middle of a rainstorm? <laughs> I just drama. could not imagine arguing with someone like that. <laughs> <laughs> Which, uh, by the way, I have a, I have a note to make. Are you ready for this note? Sure. Um, so in the Drama Queens episode on this, uh, Sophia was talking about that line where she says, "I'm not your recycling bin," and she, and Sophia pointed out, like, I am not saying those words. And you can tell, like, when she's mouthing the words, like, it's it's bad ADR right there. But I can tell you the exact words that Sophia was saying during that scene. She is saying, I am not your punching bag. Because oh. the promo for this episode actually shows Brooke saying that line. She screams at Lucas, I am not your punching bag. And then Lucas responds, no, you're psychotic. Uh that's interesting. Yeah, so they use that for the promo, and <laughs> which I find funny because the final it didn't make it in the final episode. But yes, the thing I don't understand is like I don't know why Brooke said I'm not your punching bag. There obviously were like parts cut from the scene that like probably made it would have made it make sense. But yeah, I don't really understand. That doesn't make a lot of sense. Also, yeah. recycling bin. 
I don't think either one really makes sense. I mean, recycle a bit, I feel like, makes sense because it's, it's trying to say, like, hey, you're reusing these letters that you wrote to Peyton and you're sending them to me. Yeah. Yeah, I guess so. So, yeah, bad ADR, but I just wanted to share that little fun fact. So, yes, Brooke is not Lucas's punching bag, whatever that means. <laughs> yeah, so when they're in the rain arguing, Brooke, I think, actually asks him, why do you love me? And then Lucas goes through the, all of the reasons why he loves her. And yeah. then Brooke seems satisfied with that. But is she is that is she going to stay satisfied? Because in the past, she hasn't. Like, I feel like Lucas always, and he even says it in in this speech. He's like, you are the only person that I've given these embarrassing speeches to. I have the quote written down if you want me to say it. I'm just saying. I'm just Go saying. Go for it. I didn't write okay. that one down. Yes, I did. I did. Okay, so Brooke says, like, why? Like, why me this time? Why not Peyton? And then, and then he says, well, because you kink your eyebrow when you're trying to be cute. Because you quote Camus, even though I've never actually seen you read. Bullshit, you've seen her read in season one. (laughs) (laughs) Just a little side note. And because you miss your parents, but she'll never ever admit that. And because I've given exactly two of these embarrassing speeches in my entire life, and they've both been with you. I mean, that's gotta mean something, right? And because we're both gonna get pneumonia. But if you need to hear why I love you, I could go on all night. And then Brooke says... You did pretty good. And then they kiss, and then they make love later. Yes, I just said make love. <laughs> <laughs> so I think I I think the part where he said that, you know, he's given two of these embarrassing speeches, and they've all been to, to Brooke. <laughs> but everything else he listed, like, are those really reasons to prove that he loves her? I don't really buy that speech too much, to be honest. Really? Okay. It's just little details about her. Is it really why he loves her? Because she wrinkles her eyebrow <laughs> and she quotes Camu. <laughs> like, uh, he said she kinks her eyebrow. Thank you very much. I don't know. I feel like you can love somebody just based on those like little, like tiny little moments. Yeah. Like, you know, there's little tiny moments that you appreciate. I guess so. I don't think it's that convincing of a speech. Maybe that is a hot take. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> Am I raining on your parade? A little bit, yes. I mean, it, it's cute. It's definitely cute, but I'm like, is this enough to prove to Brooke with all the anxiety that she has? I probably would have fallen for it in the moment. If Chad Michael Murray was saying that to me in the rain, I probably would have fallen yeah. for it. Okay, <laughs> I hear you. So, Chad Michael Murray, not Lucas, because Lucas is a piece of shit. <laughs> <laughs> I'm getting so annoyed with Lucas, the more and more I continue with this fucking show. Wow. I'm sorry. What is so bad about him right now? I don't know. I just, I understand what you're saying about, like, why it can be frustrating for him to, you know, keep, like, proving himself and proving himself and proving himself, but, and I think, I feel like Brooke could do a better job of communicating as well, so there's our two sides right there, but I still feel like he could be doing a better job. He could be. Yeah, I guess he has to just keep track of what he says in different letters to different women. (laughs) That was, like, so fucking sarcastic. I can't let it <laughs> Well, okay. Um, sh- shall we talk about things that we all agree on, Nathan sure. and Haley? <laughs> I mean, nearly forever and ever and ever, always and forever. <laughs> oh, yes. So this gets kicked off. Uh, Haley comes in and she, like, tells Nathan, like, how Duke could be a really great school, has a great basketball program, and there's some coach named Coach Krezizewski. <laughs> it's, you know, 
Nathan Garaxer says, oh, Coach Krzyzewski, they actually call him Coach K, blah, blah, blah. Um, and then she reveals that, like, oh, I want to go to Duke with you. And he's like, you can't, I don't want you to, because I'm going to Sanford. And then the power goes out. So basically, he's like, I don't want you to. And then there's this pause, and and Haley starts to, like, go off. <laughs> yes. She's talking about all things. I'm like, just when I think the two of us are, like, getting, are doing well, and then you drop this on me. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I feel for her. I do. Because, like, you can't have that. I don't want you to go and then pause. <laughs> like, you need to continue <laughs> that. But, of course, to be dramatic, they had to include that. I think he wanted to surprise her, but the, the pause was just a little bit too long. Mm-hmm. It probably should have been like, I don't want you to, because I'm going to Stanford. <laughs> See, that's nice that they're trying to, like, do what the other wants. And I like that. Because, like, now they're meeting in the middle. And in the end, they're just going to, they decide to apply to both and see what happens. Mm-hmm. You know, Duke and Stanford, which I wonder what will happen. Same, same. Um, But I have to ask you, you don't, so you think, like, all these reasons that Lucas uh, listed out on why he loves Brooke, you think that's bullshit. What about all the things that Nathan remembers about Haley? Is that something that you buy into, Caitlin? Yes. <laughs> because if you do, you are a hypocrite. Okay, why do you buy into this, but not into the bro- not into the Brooke and stuff? That is a good question. <laughs> well, so yes. what were the exact things that Nathan said? He was he was talking about a song that she was singing and what she was wearing. Yeah, he was he was talking about the jeans that she wore was like that day when they went to when they fell asleep in the park that she wore her, her hair up that time when she performed that Beatles song and the sun like was shining in on her. All and that shit. Her hair was up just like it was when she first tutored him. Yeah, I did not write all these things down, but that's the basic gist of it. Yeah, so I remember those. I don't know. The way it was written, maybe? <laughs> or just my general feelings towards Nelly versus Brucus. <laughs> I think that's probably what it is. I love Nelly. And okay, so l- l- let me uh, l- l- let me school you for a second. What if uh, Lucas was saying that's those same lines to Peyton? Would you have read it the same way? Kayla's smile, and she has this, like, malicious smile on her face. She's like, <laughs> yeah. So so the things that he said to Brooke, if he said those to Peyton? Yes. Do you think maybe your bias would come in there? Probably. <laughs> the um, truth comes out. <laughs> I don't know. So my main thing with the Brucus stuff is that there are little details about her, and maybe that is why he loves her, but is it enough to truly convince her that to convince Brooke needs a lot of convincing is this enough to really convince her I think the whole speech part of it is accurate yeah (laughs) you know he has shared his feelings openly in two embarrassing speeches but all that other stuff I don't know I just thought it was kind of filler I mean, Lucas was listing these reasons to prove that he loved Brooke. Whereas Nathan, he was, like, listing all these things he remembered. He wasn't doing that to, like, prove his love for Haley. He just does love Haley. And these are just, like, fun facts that he was sharing just because she asked for them. She's like, oh, what else do you remember? So I was thinking that exactly what you just said. I was thinking that, but I didn't say it. Um, Yes, he wasn't directly proving his love almost him saying those things is showing us how much he loves her <laughs> like it's showing versus telling right which i think is a little bit more effective I, yeah i think it all just comes down to the way it was written 
So you think the show, you, you think the showing is better than the actual telling aspect of it? Yeah. Huh. I could see that. There is also such a tenderness with Nailey in this episode. Yes. And I know in the Drama Queens podcast, Joy said a lot of these scenes with James were awkward because I guess James just really isn't like a sappy kind of guy. <laughs> but I didn't I don't think that came across, honestly. I thought he did a great job in this episode. Yeah, I don't I don't think that came across. I don't think any awkwardness came across either. Yeah. But that was some interesting background, though. Like, yeah, for to, sure. To rewatch those scenes and to think, oh, there was a little bit of awkwardness between the actors. Yeah, but I don't know. Like, I, I bought the chemistry one hundred percent. Everything he said, everything where he got like super sappy, like I was buying into it. And I was there for it. I'm like, yo, I want Nathan to feed me all the foods missing consonants. I know there was just such an intimacy with these scenes like they were sitting at the counter and Haley puts her feet up and there was such a coziness and then they're sitting by the fireplace all cuddled up mm-hmm. and we haven't gotten to see this nailing in a long time like season one <laughs> i guess i don't even know if we fully saw this in season one it's it's feel i feel like it's a new nailing like new and improved <laughs> And I am I am fucking loving it. I really am too. And, and I really like the honest communication they have, like by the fireplace. One then Nathan actually does admit that he shouldn't have asked Haley to choose between him and the tour, compared to the nineteen fifties. Um and then Haley says, Oh, but it wasn't either or because I didn't ask you to come with me. So it's like they're both kind of holding each other accountable a little bit. Like, they're holding themselves accountable, I guess you could say. Um, But it doesn't seem like either one of them is mad at the other. And then Haley says, you know, when I think back on the tour, I'm not proud of it. Because I know you weren't proud of me. And then Nathan's like, is that what you think? That I wasn't proud of you? Come out here. And then he takes her out in the rain. He has this little box in his car, and it's full of newspaper clippings. The Tyler Hilton song, Missing You, which is a cover of the John Waite song from the 1980s, is playing. And he's showing her all these little pieces. He says, I've always been proud of you. And then, and then this is such a good scene. <laughs> <laughs> it is. And, and then, like, uh, the newspaper clip and start blowing away as they're kissing. And then Nathan's like, oh, no, it's all getting ruined. And then and Haley's like, you don't need all that stuff. You got me. You got me. And then they kiss on top of the car. And oh, it's so beautiful. As the rain's pouring down. Good old Nelly kissing in the rain. <laughs> oh, like, seriously, like, my heart was, like, I was, like, I was bawling during this scene because it just makes me so, so happy. Yeah, this this couple here, I oof. rewatching this show with a fresh set of eyes. You know, I always loved Nailey, but they weren't my favorite ship. I just feel like it was just always a given. Like, yeah, you know, they're they're a great couple. Like, great. <laughs> and I feel like us, like when we were younger, we probably maybe didn't appreciate it on the same level. Like. I know. Now that we're older, we're like, yo, stable relationship. Yeah. <laughs> totally agree. It is great representation, I think. And like you were saying, the honest communication. Like, finally, there was so much miscommunication in season two because they didn't really talk to each other. They didn't talk it out. And finally, they just laid everything out on the table uh, about Chris and college 
and Nathan's regrets for for making Haley choose between the two, between their relationship and her music career. And he said, you know, how he went to High Flyers and he's like, I I couldn't imagine, you know, making that choice either. It's like, why does there have to be a choice? We can do both, you know? Mm-hmm. We can pursue our passions and we can also be in a relationship. And this is such a healthy way to look at it and a mature way to look at it, which they lacked that image. They lacked that maturity last season. Right. Absolutely. Their emotions got the best of them and they kind of reacted in different ways. Nathan was just plain angry and upset and he just used that emotion to cope. (laughs) Didn't really want to fix anything. Just was angry and upset with everyone, including Haley. (laughs) And then Haley, she just ran off and then kind of didn't really deal with it at all. You know, she she didn't want to deal with it because so I guess it was too difficult to deal with. So their ways of coping didn't match. This was such a much needed conversation and I'm so glad we got to see it on screen. Yeah. And the fact that they're both compromised and so they're saying like, oh, let's just apply to both colleges and just see what happens. Because I feel like they both realize at this moment in time that no matter what happens, like let's say they get into separate colleges or something like that. I feel like the two of them realize they'll still have each other. And that's just so good. Like they're very secure with each other right now. And I'm loving it. I am a Naily shipper. Not that I never was. <laughs> oh, yeah, totally agree. I was always a shipper. They just weren't my focus. <laughs> right. You know? Uh, oh, so this is the part where I said, like, uh, Lucas can take lessons from Nathan. Because when the two of them are in bed together the next morning, you, you just hear Nathan. Nathan has his eyes closed. He's not even looking at Haley. And he says, stop it. Whatever you're worried about, just stop it. And he says, you really think I need uh, to look at you in order to know that you're worried about something? Like, everything's going to be okay. <laughs> like, th- that was so good right there. Another example of showing versus telling. Uh-huh. That really shows how much he knows Haley. Yes. Before we just wishes to Lucas and get so frustrated. And again, I get it. I can feel two things at the same time. Okay. Yeah, I stand by. The stuff that Nathan says is way cuter than what Lucas said. By and far. I feel you. And then another thing that happens, uh, Nathan hand dries the newspaper articles because he only deserves something to remember the tour by. I know. Yes, he hung them up. It was so sweet. Because he was just showing Haley, like, hey, you should be proud of this tour because it seems like she's like she's a little bit ashamed of it because she left Nathan behind. And Nathan's like, no, like, this is something you should be proud of. It was really nice to know that he was saving those newspaper clippings this whole time and that, like, he really supports Haley and what she did and, like, what the future holds. I love it so much. Yes. Well, do you want to talk about some things that maybe aren't so cute? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, this... Rivet onto Rachel now. This is cute, but for different reasons. I think these two have great chemistry, um, but there's a lot to unpack. But before we move on, before we get further into it, uh, Mouth comes into Rachel's bedroom. He says, like, are you sure? Are your parents okay with you having a boy in your bedroom? And then Rachel's like, under three boys is fine. Under three beers, too. And then she's about to give Mouth a, a beer. And then Mouth is like, oh, I don't really drink much. And then Rachel's like, suits yourself. And did you see what she held up? Did you see what she held a can of? Oh my gosh, I didn't catch that. (laughs) 
Really? Name brand orange soda watch. Arr, arr, arr. <laughs> I really did not catch that one. This is blatant product placement. Like, Zanil is, like, holding the soda out, like, with the label clearly visible. <laughs> it is hilarious. I hate this name brand orange soda. <laughs> I hate it. It's so excessive. One Tree is basically showing off, like, hey, look at us. We have money. We have you better bleep that out. I just said the word. <laughs> I always give you a hard time. Jeremy's oh. horrified. Oh, fuck. Wow. That's going to be really funny that like I'm going to bleep out that orange soda brand, but I'm not going to bleep out the, f- the fuck. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, what I was saying is like, yeah, like they have this name brand orange soda. Um, meanwhile, Veronica Mars had skissed. Did they? They had skissed. They could not afford to have the actual soda, but they have skissed. <laughs> Interesting. If you pay attention, you will see skissed everywhere. <laughs> Interesting. Anyway, this is not sponsored by any name brand orange soda, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Mouth and Rachel. Yes. So, Rachel apparently invited Mouth over to her bedroom, and then he, com- he comes up there, and the lights... Go out shortly thereafter. They're sitting on the bed. Mouth thought that Rachel did that on purpose, turned the lights out, <laughs> and leans over to kiss her. And Rachel's like, are you trying to kiss me? Yeah. And then he explains, like, he thought that she did that on, invited her, invited him up to the bedroom, and then turned the lights off on purpose. Which... I mean, I, I, who hasn't been there in that situation where, like, it's somebody that you're obviously crushing on and you're thinking, like, oh, this person is obviously doing something. You know, just because you want to believe it. Yeah. But Yeah, that's true. One of the things I like, though, is that Rachel expressed, like, she, I, don't think, I don't think she outright expressed this comfort, but she did say, like, are you trying to kiss me? Like, she questioned a little bit and then Mouth was, like, immediately apologetic, which is how it should be, you know? Yeah. I'm glad that he apologized. Mm-hmm. Even though Rachel says, stop apologizing. You know, if you want a girl, you got to tell her she's nothing. She'll come running. You got to be aggressive. I hated that part. A lot to unpack. Why in our culture was that? Why is that a thing? Like how kids, specifically girls, are taught. Well, if he's mean to you, that means he likes you. Like Mm -hmm. where did, what's the root of this? I, I don't understand why that has, why this was ever a thing that we have told young girls, young people. I mean, I, <laughs> it's like really disturbing, actually. Yeah. Because why would we want to connect love or, you know, liking someone with being mean? Like, why are those two things connected? And I feel like that is the whole root of what Rachel is saying right now. Yeah. Why would you want to be told that you're nothing? It's like playing hard to get, I guess, is what that conveys to. Yeah. And for this whole thing, too, like, I really worry about, like, Rachel's self-esteem. Like, you know, like, because Mouth would be the kind of guy who would tell her how great she is, how she's one of the elite girls. <laughs> and you know she doesn't she doesn't want to hear that like she wants to be treated like shit so i want i want to know about that too like 
that's something that she's internalized about herself, it seems like. Yeah, that's true. It says a lot about her level of confidence in herself. And, like, it's weird because, ironically, she's trying to make Mouth more confident. But, like, what she's saying shows that, like, her self-worth, she doesn't have much. <laughs> like, you know? Yeah. I, ugh. It's, like, a weird, it's a weird conversation. But at the same time, like you said, there is that layer, too. Like, why is that a thing? Like, if a guy's mean to you, it means he likes you. Like, no, that's not something, that's not cool. Not cool at all. And I feel like that's something our generation is really trying to unpack. Because, I mean, I see those memes, those parented memes that go around and everything like that. They say, like, you do not teach kids that lesson. Just just don't. If a boy is being mean to you, it does not mean he likes you. It means he's mean. <laughs> like, And this is how, like, you know, like especially, like, young women, they'll grow up here and this stuff. And then that's how they'll ultimately end up in abusive relationships in adult life, you know, because they'll keep internalizing that. And they shouldn't expect anything less than the best, honestly. It's a really harmful message. Mm-hmm. Which I'm really glad the math does say, but I'm not that guy, Rachel, and I don't want to be. So maybe the elite girls just aren't for me then. But one of these days, I'm going to meet a girl who really loves me. And maybe she won't be what you call hot, but I think she's beautiful. And I'll tell her so. I won't be mean to her because I won't have to play games with her. I'll just be the guy that she can always count on, and that'll be enough. What do you think about that speech? I like it. Yeah, I not? think Math is being honest, you know? <laughs> yeah. That he doesn't want to play games. Like, he doesn't want to be in a type of relationship like that. He's speaking generally, but I think, yeah, we can definitely, it's definitely insinuated that, like, he likes Rachel and he would treat her well. But he also, a little bit later, like, when he declines her kiss that she offers him, he basically says, like, you know, until you feel like you wake up and you need to call me right away and you like me just as much as I like you, then the answer's no. I find this whole storyline interesting because, like, the beginning, it starts with him kissing her, her trying to kiss her, and then by the end, he's, like, declining her kiss after thinking about, like, they have different views about relationships, clearly, because <laughs> Rachel really doesn't have a lot of self-worth which is what I, I already said that, but I think Math is realizing that in that moment too. Yeah, I agree. I still think it is a kind of a weird, like it's a weird series of scenes. Kind Why do of. you say that? I think it's interesting, but it is a little bit of a weird series of scenes. Um, I don't know why I say that. I feel like there's things that aren't directly said. Okay. Vincent Arc directly said maybe it's because of the whole idea, like, I feel like Rachel doesn't have any experience with, like, nice guys, and Mouth doesn't really have experience with with girls in general, apart from Erica Marsh. So I wonder if that's, like, almost intentional. Yeah. Eh, it could be. Who knows? Who knows? I do like how they're, they're two very different people that you wouldn't necessarily put together, and I, I like this pairing. Yeah, they're really great on screen together. Their differences make the conversations interesting. Yeah, which is why, like, I still say, like, you know, the whole uh, Mouth and his grandfather storyline, which we saw in the Boy Draft episode, <laughs> I feel like they were planning to go somewhere with that, but then they decided, like, oh, but look at all these scenes he has with Rachel. Like, so they'll have chemistry, we should do something with this. And you know what? That's why they ended up figuring it out. And you know what? Good for them. Yeah, that's true. I wonder, yeah. If it was a decision between the two. That's a good point. 
But we're but we're left wondering, is Rachel using Mouth to make Brooke jealous? Because Mouth asks that directly, and Rachel's like, I don't need you to make Brooke jealous. No offense. LOL. Um, but then at the end, toward the end of the episode, we see uh, Rachel and Mouth are walking down the hallway together. They're laughing. And then uh, Rachel spots Brooke, and then Rachel quickly puts her hand on Mouth's shoulder. <laughs> and then, like, you know, just quickly showing, like, <laughs> I'm the boss here. So something's a little bit up in the air right there. I know. I don't like the games that Rachel plays. <laughs> Because I feel like this is a little bit of a game. Yeah. Which I feel like she, maybe she is playing a game with Brooke. But I feel like she also does have like, maybe not romantic feelings for Mouth, but I think she does want to be Mouth's friend at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. I, she can I agree. want both things. She likes Mouth as a friend. Yeah. I, I just like the, I like to think better of Rachel, honestly. <laughs> you know, maybe I'm giving her a lot of credit, but I like to think more of her. I'm just sick of the whole Rachel versus Brooke thing. Oh, yeah, like absolutely. Like, women against women, so it's getting a little old to me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, the more, like, I, I still love Brooke Davis. I still consider her my favorite character of all time. But, like, you know, her whole, like, her whole mean girls attitude toward, like, other women on this show, it's getting kind of annoying. <laughs> I'm just like, girl, like, just grow up. I know, right? Yeah. I wish they would just move past it, these mm-hmm. two. Like, they need to. Because, like, what's the point anymore? Brooke is with Lucas, so what's the rivalry? At the same time, I do like the scene the two of them fight, so. <laughs> just because it's just, it's just fun to see, honestly. And, like, I'm a big fan of, like, campy, like, soap operas. Like, I want to see the two of them fall into a pool together and catfight. Like, <laughs> you would. <laughs> like, I love shit like that. Like, that, that fuels me. Like, I want some, like, Melrose plays level shit. <laughs> yeah. I-, I think they have good chemistry on the screen it's not like positive they're not positive scenes but right right <laughs> but they, it works you know but they're good together speaking of a good segue let's talk about karen and keith they are so cute <laughs> i just have all the warm fuzzies with them in this episode we learned that uh that keith spent the first dollar at karen's cafe and gave her the piece of advice. Well, not really a piece of advice, just gave her, like, a good platitude. Anyone who thinks this is more than you can handle is less than the kind of person you need in your life. And he said that he had to think about it real hard before he came the next day to tell her that. Yeah, he thought about it the night before, because essentially the whole town thought that she was crazy, because, you know, she was gonna try to be a single mom, like, start a cafe, which yeah. I don't understand how she did that, but, you know, go her. <laughs> Seriously, I have no idea. <laughs> so it's not like I was shaming her, but like, I don't know how you can do it. But like, really, Karen, I don't know how you do it because you seem awesome. Can you please give me tips? Because I do not have any children. <laughs> I'm having trouble be- making ends meet. How are you doing it? Please tell me. I know, right? Especially when you're opening your own business because you put a lot of money out to do that first before you're yeah. gaining money <laughs> right right exactly so uh yeah power to her maybe she just got a good deal in that real estate space for karen's cafe is i i don't know time has no meaning in tree hill and neither does money apparently <laughs> <laughs> i guess so <laughs> you want to know something else i've noticed too speaking of like karen not having much money you notice like lucas's like clothing has gotten like more like fashionable too like, in season one, he was wearing, like, baggy jeans and t-shirts. Now he's wearing, like, button-down shirts. Yeah, he's always like, wearing a button-down now. I yeah, do notice well, that. 
Or like these really fancy like layered shirts, which are like a big hit in the 2000s. So I'm like, where is he afforded these clothes now? <laughs> well, she has a business partner, Deb, who, you know, I guess... Okay, I like I like that. So Deb brought in more business until the okay. And they okay, have I trick, like remember too. True. Okay. All right. All right. That's fine. That's fine then. But it still doesn't make a lot of sense at all that they were struggling so much in season one. You know, where the water shutting or off or whatever that happened in one of the episodes, and then suddenly she's able to buy another business. Like, yeah, I know she has a partner, so like you do split the cost, but. It doesn't add up, but we're, I think we're thinking too hard about it, so we just won't. <laughs> we <laughs> just, just won't. Not. That's a good point. But, uh, so the two of them sleep together, like, right on Main Street, like, in front of the windows. I mean, I guess nobody's traveled on the road, so not that big of a deal. <laughs> well, the lights were out, and then they came back on. True, yeah. The thing I thought that was so funny when they, uh, when they made love in front of the window... <laughs> You notice, like, they're wearing they're wearing matching sheets, but notice how, like, you know, the sheet that's wrapped around Moira Kelly is basically a dress. And I think the idea was supposed to be like, oh, she has the sheet wrapped around her, but like, w- 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 make it make sense. I don't get it. Also, why in a cafe would there be sheets at all? <laughs> There's no bed there. I, I wasn't even thinking that. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah. I mean, she did used to have the crib for Lucas. like And Jenny's the, Jenny's crib. Yeah, but I don't think those, those sheets will be good enough to fit a full adult. I wonder why they chose for them to be in the cafe when this happened. Like, why weren't they just at a house? I mean, I guess the, the whole thing about the first dollar getting spent in the cafe, I feel like, you know, to show, like, the foundation of their relationship. I think that was kind of cute to say. Yeah, I think that must be the only reason, because they wanted to include that detail. That's an example of showing, not telling, mm-hmm. I feel like. But Karen yeah. says, I love you. I know, that's big for her. Because <laughs> and- we've always known, like, up until now, like, we've always known that Keith loved Karen, yes. but we never actually heard it from Karen, and here we are. We have evidence now. Cool. I know, and I I found it interesting, like, we didn't need to hear Keith say it back, because it cuts away after Karen says that. Because, like you just said, we already know that Keith does. Like, there's absolutely no question yeah. about it. <laughs> so it's like, we don't need to hear him say, I love you, too. We know. No. You know? Yeah, exactly. Finally! So things are going well for that one Scott brother. Things are not going so well for a different Scott brother, Dan. He has to be up to no good, even during a major storm. Like, I cannot with him. <laughs> Yeah, and I love how, like, I don't know who's, who Dan was talking to earlier in the episode, but the person says, I contacted the Department of Power, <laughs> and the lights will not be on for a few hours. The Department of Power. <laughs> very, very official. Yeah. <laughs> and then Dan's like, oh, so the whole city is dark? Good. So he breaks into Keith's house. We see a little flashback of him and Keith as kids. Which, I guess, just shows that, oh, the two of them had, you know, good relationship at one point in time. Because Keith tried to protect Dan from, like, you know, a bad storm. Yeah, because Dan sees a picture frame of young, young Dan and Keith. Which, I'm kind of wondering, like, why would Keith have that? Why would he have that in his house? 
I mean, that could illustrate something right there, though. Like, maybe Keith is, like... Keith actually does treasure his brother to an extent and treasures the memories. Yeah. But they're just not on good terms. I just cannot imagine having that, especially as, like, kids. But I guess he's looking back to a different time when they did get along. Maybe. Regardless, behind the photo is a key to a safety deposit box. Why is that there? <laughs> Why is that there? Where is this whole storyline going? And I know we'll get to it in the coda, but what? <laughs> that's, that's just I mean, we thought. can talk a little bit about the ledger right now. So Keith has the ledger in the safety deposit box, but like, according to Dan, that ledger was fake, and it does not make it doesn't make sense, honestly. And I know I tried to make sense of it in season two, but it's still like I don't know what the writers knew what they were doing when they came up with this plot line so doesn't dan know that he knows that that was stolen back in season two because he planted it there for lucas or andy or whoever to steal it like wasn't that the whole intent yeah which lucas did steal it and then dan said that's a fake and now keith held on to it so so how did keith get it (laughs) Is this just proving to Dan that Keith was involved in this whole Lucas and Andy thing? Even though, was he really? Yeah, but at what point did he get involved, though? Because when when uh, Andy and uh, Lucas were playing and not, Keith and Lucas weren't on speaking terms. I know. So the, that's the only thing I can think of. It's proving that Keith was involved. But my question is, was Keith actually involved? I don't remember that <laughs> at all. <laughs> I think this is new information right here. Yeah. And it's just sort of thrown in. And so I think this is just to add fuel to the fire that Keith thinks that Dan, or Dan thinks that Keith tried to kill him. Yeah. This is just adds adding. fuel to the fire. It's just, <laughs> yeah, it is. Yeah, no, no pun intended. But it really is adding fuel because it's just more evidence to prove that Keith is against Dan. Or at least in Dan's head, it's proof, you know? That Keith is out to get him, right? Is is this what it's showing? That's the only thing that I can surmise, so. Sure. Because <laughs> what else would it show? I I don't know. I, and I feel, like the, I feel like the show doesn't know what to do no, with this ledger storyline either. It doesn't. It really does not. <laughs> <laughs> so, we'll see, or maybe we won't. We probably won't. Let's be honest here. <laughs> Yeah, but we uh, will see, that's for sure. Okay. Well, are you ready to talk about the big stuff? No. <laughs> no. I will never be ready for this. Neither will I. So, we're talking about Peyton and Allie now. Yeah. So, okay, I'm just going to jump in. You know how you're we talking about how this episode really, like, plants you into the story, like, immediately? You know that there's a rainstorm, the lights go out shortly after we see, like, each of the pairings together. And then one of those pairings is Peyton and Ellie. And Peyton comes into the bedroom, and she her hair is all wet from the storm. And she sees Ellie standing in the bathroom, clearly crying. And she asks Ellie, what, what's wrong? And you can really tell on her face, and it, like, breaks my heart to think about it. Yeah, she says it's time. Yeah, she says it's time that she has to go. The album's almost done. 
And the one line that really killed me is she says to Peyton, there's just some things I can't do here. It makes me want to cry. <laughs> Honestly, it's just like... I, 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 I wrote that down, so... I feel like there are so many pieces of dialogue. The dialogue is so well written for these scenes. It's also like there's like a crypticness about, if that's a word, crypticness. <laughs> it doesn't help. About Ellie. Because Ellie isn't like addressing the cancer head on. She's like talking around it. But Peyton knows, like she wants a dir- Peyton wants direct answers about it. And Ellie doesn't want to give that because I think it's too hard for Ellie to. And she also doesn't want to like hurt Peyton even more because it it would be hard to hear like the truth of the matter, you know, that she is dying. But yeah, so she says to Peyton, there's just some things I can't do here. And Peyton says, so this is goodbye. And Ellie says for now. And knowing what how this episode ends with Ellie dying, like... That is so emotional to me. Right. But the storm happens, and Ellie can't go home right away. And the two of them have a lot of great bonded moments. They talk about their saddest songs ever, happiest songs ever. Um, Peyton talks about how the saddest song ever is Celebration, cool in the gang, because that played in the hospital when her, when her adoptive mother died. And... Uh, Ellie says her happiest song is Here Comes a Regular by The Replacements, which is a, an actual, it's actually a sad song, but because of the memory that she had with it, where it was just like, you know, pouring down rain, and then Paul Westerberg comes on, and he hits that first note, and she says it's like, it's such a good memory, and it's at this place in Winston-Salem called The Meadow. Yeah, this was a really interesting story that they included. I would have loved to know more about, like, the writing of this episode and how they chose this particular memory and song, you know, because we, we heard the song. We hear the song later in the episode, too. Yeah, I, I'm, always, I'm always curious about how the music supervision for this goes. Like, do, do they do they write the song in and then, like, they get it cleared with Lindsay Wolfen's head? Or does Lindsay Wolfenden get the song and then the script is written around it? Like, I'm curious about, like, the production aspect of that, because that I'm not familiar with. Yeah, that's a good point. I would imagine, like, they specifically chose to write the song in and then probably had to check if they could get that song. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Yeah, maybe they uh, maybe they had to, like, do it way ahead of time, see if, like, like, oh, we got the song. All right, let's include this in the episode. Yeah, that's, that's probably huh. how. Which, I gotta ask you, what is your saddest song ever, Caitlin? Ooh, I can't answer that. I don't know. Yes, you can. You got to. Saddest song ever? <laughs> you can do happiest song ever, too. Let's do both of us. Happiest song ever and saddest song ever. Oh, you can't put me on the spot. You should have told I me I am about- putting you on the spot. <laughs> Ellie put Peyton on the spot. I can We're put you on the spot. We're going to be sitting here for a while. Happiest song ever? Saddest song ever? I can go first. <laughs> if you want to think about it right now. So, I would say my saddest song ever is Teardrops on My Guitar by Taylor Swift. Are you serious? For real. <laughs> that song always get me, gets me in my feels. I don't know why. <laughs> uh, so, I don't know if these are, like, definitive answers. This is just, like, what first comes to mind, but... Okay. When the Party's Tell Over it. by Billie Eilish. That's oh, okay. sad. 
All right, all right, all right, all right. That song gets you in my feels. I know Aww. there's definitely a lot more because I do like sad songs, but that that song is like one that first comes to mind, like a more modern example, I guess. Happiest song? Ooh. Comes to mind first. <laughs> Happiest song? I don't know. What's yours? So I have a very similar experience by... Uh, like Ellie had. Ellie had a sad song that she made a happy memory with. Mine is Michelle Branch's Goodbye to You. Oh, wow. Because <laughs> that's Buffy related, right? Yes, yes it is. And the reason why it's such a happy memory for me, I'm not going to get too deep into the lore of Buffy for this, but anybody who's a fan of Buffy knows that's a very important song for the series. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a very sad moment in the series, specifically. But at the Buffer and the Vampire Slayer finale, um, as the hosts, like, you know, bowed out, they put on the song Goodbye to You as they walked off the stage. And let me tell you, all of us in the audience, we erupted into song. And we all said goodbye to you. We were like this giant chorus. Oh, that's amazing. I have never felt like I belonged more than I did in that moment. This was just like a few months ago at this point. But I was so, so happy in that moment. And granted, it was like a sad, funny moment because it's like, oh, it's like goodbye to the podcast. It's the finale. But I was so, so happy. Like, you know, just being in a community of people like that. And I've, I've got the... Again, this is only a few months ago, but I can't think of any other moment that's, like, really topped it like that. So, wow. yeah. So, I understand, Allie, when she, when she says, like, oh, here comes a regular, like, a sad song. But you know what? I have a happy memory with it. I really have to think about the happy song. I feel like there's so <laughs> many, like, happy moments. I mean, I don't want to be, but Gavin DeGraw makes me happy for obvious <laughs> <Okay>. reasons. <laughs> like, if we're going there, like... I hear that song and I feel happy immediately. All right, all right, all right. I can get, we can go with that. Cool. That's that's cool. That's on brand. I feel like I truly want to answer this question definitively, but I would have to go through my whole song list. Like, I can't immediately think of it. Okay. Well, in, in the next episode, if you change your mind, just like, you know, share it in the intro or something. Okay. Yeah, I really want to think about it now. <laughs> I was not prepared for this. Jeremy. Come on, you know I was going to ask that, and we're always on theme of the episode. <laughs> I actually didn't think about that, that you were going to ask that. I was too focused on Ellie and Peyton. You're too focused on the sad parts. Like, I want to be happy, okay? Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, uh, but back to the whole thing, uh, Peyton talks to Ellie about her cancer, and Ellie says the iconic line, Every song has a coda, a final moment, whether it fades out or crashes away. Every song ends, but is that any reason not to enjoy the music? It's so epic. It's like saying so much in that moment. <laughs> Once again, Ellie's not being like direct. She's basically saying, you know, like, enjoy life while it lasts. You can't worry about the ending because then you're not going to enjoy like the middle or the beginning or whatever. And I think that's helpful advice for Peyton. Because Peyton is uh, clearly so worried about Ellie and what's going to happen. Ellie kind of wants to spin that sadness, you know, and teach Peyton a lesson, you know, that she has to focus on the living. And that's Mm -hmm. why they go out into the rain with the window or the top down in Peyton's car. It was just like such a liberating moment of living life. (laughs) 
you know, I was uh, I was watching this episode with my mom, and she was like, "Wow, somebody's rich," because talking about how the car is getting into the seats, <laughs> or the, the the rain is getting into the seats. <laughs> And I'm like, shut up, mom. This is a good moment, okay? (laughs) (laughs) She's living her life. (laughs) I don't want to think critically about this, okay? (laughs) I know, right? (laughs) But yeah, um, the other quote I've written down is like, Ellie told Peyton, there's nothing to be afraid of. It's just life. Yeah, and I had written that down too. Because right before that, when, when, um, Ellie says to Peyton that, you know, every song ends, is that any reason not to enjoy the music? And Peyton says, it doesn't mean I can't want it to not end. Mm-hmm. It's so sad. Yup. But, I mean, I think a good life lesson overall, though. Absolutely. Because Peyton admits to her that, like, surviving is what she feels like all she can do sometimes. And that's kind of heartbreaking to hear. But it's true because Peyton's been through so much. And I think Ellie, in a way, like, oh, it's just adding more trauma to Peyton. But I think it is sending a positive message that you have to, like, appreciate the time that you have overall. Yeah, absolutely. And um, something that Peyton comes to the realization about, she's talking to Ellie. She says, there was this guy. There is this guy I loved, but I let him go. And it was a mistake. Yeah. So that's like something that she came to the conclusion about. Interesting. Yeah. Who is she talking about? Yeah. I don't, I have no idea. Jake? Lucas? Rachel? (laughs) You went there. (laughs) She says guy. Never mind. Uh huh. <laughs> you tried to fit that in there. Yeah, I really tried to force that. Like, no, she said, "Guy, never minds." <laughs> and so, yeah, this moment, Peyton reveals that to Ellie, and it's when um, Ellie is brushing her hair after they come in from came in from the rain. And I remember Hillary said on the Drama Queens podcast how she has such a strong sense memory of the scene. Uh, like feeling that hairbrush go through her hair and I can only imagine because you like you really in order to do this scene as actors like they really you really had to get into character to to convey this and and Ellie and didn't Hillary say that she also like she also the type of person who like really craves touch so like you didn't feel it like her hair getting brushed it was like she said she wasn't acting here like when she's crying Mm -hmm. and whatnot she was just saying like she just really craved that touch yeah what was her reasoning for saying that like desiring that touch they uh and listeners like feel free to listen to their episode on this because they'll explain it much better than i could um but i know like they were talking about the facts like when you're uh when you're the oldest kid Mm. In, in the family, eventually, like, you know, you grow too old, and then your parents don't, uh, don't touch the oldest kid as much, they'll hug the kid as much, because they start focusing on the younger kids, like the babies. Yeah. So, like, they start getting deprived of it. Wow, that's really sad. And I think Hillary said that she was the older kid, if I'm not mistaken. But again, don't quote me on that. Listen to that episode, please. Yes, yeah, listen to them talk yeah. about it. <laughs> but anyway, as as Ellie's brushing her hair, they're, like, sitting so close together, and... And Peyton is 
now leaning on Ellie's shoulder. And Ellie says, I'm so sorry I missed those 17 years, but I wouldn't give back these three weeks for the world. And the Peyton that I've come to know deserves to get whatever she wants. She deserves to be happy as an artist, as a friend, as a daughter, as my daughter. And Peyton says, I heard that. That was so cute. Oh my god, it makes me want to cry. Because <laughs> it's like that they're finally getting that moment where, you know, they have been getting to know each other. But like to claim, you know, Ellie, Peyton is Ellie's daughter, you know. Ellie is my mom. Like, that's a big thing when you're adopted and you're meeting, like, your birth parents mm-hmm. to, to actually say those words. Because, like, obviously Peyton already had a mom, you know, who she called mom. So it's it's just, like, a big moment to say that to each other. Yeah. And then the next morning uh, when Ellie leaves, she says, I came back here to make sure you had a good life. And you made sure I had a great one. And then she tells Peyton, like, um, call me when you get the CD. We can listen to it together. And I don't even know how to describe what happens next. I know, because, like, okay, so when, first off, when they're saying goodbye to each other, it's like, as an audience member, even watching this for the first time, like, you, you get the sense of what's coming. Um, Ellie, once again, cannot is not directly saying it. It's like, we'll see. She's saying, at the same time she's saying, you know, call me when the CDs are ready and we'll listen to it together. She's also saying, someday we'll see each other again, which I'm going to use that word again. It's kind of cryptic. It's like, yeah, it's acknowledging the fact that like, okay, someday, I guess maybe in the afterlife, we could see each other again. You know, that's what it's kind of insinuating. (sighs) It's, it's tough. How do we even talk about this next part? Yeah, so we see Ellie is, she's she's really exhausted, it looks like, and then she puts the record into the record player, and she's listening to the replacement song, Here Comes a Regular, and the one thing I was interested in, it really seems like she's fighting, it really seems like she's fighting to, like, stay alive and be there with Peyton to listen to the CD, but she passes away before it can happen the directing of this scene is so good with the song playing and you see ellie fading and she's leaning against the door frame and she's sitting on the ground you clearly can tell she's in pain she's exhausted and then eventually she ends up on the bed where she does die and the candle it shows the candle burning and then it burns out and then, like, that's your cue that she died. And at the same time, it's also flashing back and forth between scenes of the CDs getting made. And then we see Peyton, like, really happy. She's really excited. And then she enters Ellie's house and she enters and she sees Ellie is dead on the bed. Her hand is um hanging off the bed. And so you see her hand and then Peyton sees her and she's holding the CDs. And Hillary's face, oh my god. It's like, wow. <laughs> I'm tearing up right now. Yeah, she drops the CDs on the floor. They, like, the box explodes. And you just see her, like, you know, just blowing up with tears. You don't hear her, but it's, like, completely silent. But 
you can feel it for sure. Yeah. I want to know the time frame of all this because obviously it took them. They they noted that it was three weeks that Ellie was with Peyton at her house, and then Ellie leaves. How long would these CDs take to get made? You know, what what's the time frame? I would imagine it would be a few weeks. But we also know that Ellie is clearly, like, she knows... I feel like when she was with Peyton, she was probably holding back a lot of these symptoms, which I don't really know how much you could really hold back. Yeah, th- that was the thing for... Like, one of the things I wanted to do before going into the season is, like, how realistic is this portrayal? And and I don't really know how to navigate it, because I feel like the storyline this this show was trying to tell is beautiful, and I feel like maybe they just tried to, like, you know, shark realism in favor of it. So, I I don't know how I feel. So, we know that Ellie had cancer, and then she went into remission, and then it came back. And usually when cancer comes back, it usually comes back with more of a vengeance. Uh, more aggressive, you know, and spreads to other parts of your body. Like, we know it was breast cancer, but that's not how. You don't just die from breast cancer. It, like, spreads to your whole body, eventually. So I'm yeah. just wondering, like, yeah, if she was, we knew she wasn't seeking treatment, but for how long was she not seeking treatment? We don't really know. We don't really know how long it was from when she left Peyton's house to when the CDs are ready. It's hard to know. Yeah, but I feel like if this was reality, she probably would have, like, she would be, she would really be suffering. Like, she wouldn't have been able to hold herself up even for Peyton, I think. Yeah. Right. And to die at home by yourself without any kind of hospice care or anyone is also... Which could be a reality for some folk. Yeah. You know, but... It, it could be. So I feel like there, there are some aspects that are unrealistic, but I feel like this is something where you have to, like, suspend your disbelief and just uh, focus on the fact that we, we see Peyton, it seems like she's going to have a new lease on life right now because of the lessons she learned from Ellie and... And I just feel like this is still a very, very beautiful story. And I know a lot of people who have lost parents have felt seen by this story as well. Mm-hmm. I think it's absolutely a really beautiful story. And it's obviously the highlight of this episode, um, even though it is so sad. It's so heartbreaking. Do you, want me to, do you want me to break your heart a little bit more? Oh, no. Why? Because the... Uh, so, Ellie... Ellie died, and so that song ended, but is that any reason not to enjoy the music, which is the CDs, so Peyton can still enjoy the music, even though her mom has passed? Yeah, you can look at it like that, too. I'm sorry, I'm going to ruin your life by signing up, it's... I feel like that's the lesson that Peyton is going to come out of this with. She is going to realize, like, you know what, like, even though... Even though Ellie is gone, that doesn't mean I can't continue living my life, and I yeah, I can still enjoy the music that's on the CD, and I can enjoy the music of life. Yeah, that's a beautiful way to think of it. Overall, I think everything about the storyline is so well done, and I'm sorry that Peyton had to go through this, though. Yeah, but uh, shall we talk about this coda? Yeah, let's go for it. So the song is "The World Spins Madly On" by the Weepies. Just like, just like we were saying, the world is spinning madly on mm-hmm. for Peyton and for everybody else. So it starts off at the lockers of Tree Hill High. Um, P- 
Caitlin is obviously very despondent, and then Brooke comes over to comfort her. And you see, one thing that was very interesting is, like, you see Lucas, he's, like, far away down the hallway, but then Brooke, like, you know, brings him in and says, like, come here. It's because she realizes that uh, Lucas should be there to comfort Peyton as well. So we see that Brooke, like, let go of her insecurities a little bit. Yeah. And it seems like she's in a good place right now. Like, I feel like she realized that Lucas does love her at this current moment in time. So she says, like, hey, we both need to be there for our friend here. Yeah, I liked that scene a lot. <laughs> Brooke's, like, waving her hand, like, here, come here, Lucas. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Very subtle. Very show, not tell. I think it was a sweet scene, like, them both, com- both of them comforting her. While you could just see that as, like, friends comforting a friend, it's also showing, it's like a follow-up to, like, the whole issue with Lucas and Brooke in this episode. Like, realizing that Lucas is also a friend to Peyton. And Peyton needs her friends at this time. Absolutely. All right, so we are now in the library, and we see Nathan and Haley fill out college applications, and they check off married. And they're smiling, they're moving on. It's It's cute. cute. Then we go to the bank, Dan opens the safety deposit box, reveal the ledger inside, there's a little bit of a flashback, and I don't give a fuck about this (laughs) storyline. So, what happens at the end, Caitlin? So, Peyton drives to Winston-Salem, and goes to the meadow where she spreads Ellie's ashes. And... That's when she's spreading the ashes, she says, say hi to my mom, mom. And then she sits down in the meadow. (sighs) And what a moment. I mean, to me, that is like such an iconic moment with that song and with Peyton at the meadow. I can't hear that song without thinking of that scene. Oh, it's perfect. But let's talk about some of our favorite things. My favorite quote, every song has a coda, a final moment. Whether it fades out or crashes away, every song ends, but is that any reason not to enjoy the music? Same. <laughs> How could it not of course. be? <laughs> and we already dived into it, and, so. And we both gave it five out of five. I gave it five out of five terrible ADR recordings. What did you give it? <laughs> You're something. I said five out of five kisses in the rain. Okay, cute. All right, so, but same score. Now I would have known. Did we come up with the same musical moment? So I am, like, indecisive. There are four musical moments that I love, and I'm like between two. Okay, okay. Don't don't say what. Do you, do you have one that you can think of? Don't say it yet. I've decided on one. Okay, all right. Do you want to do it on go? I'll do three, two, one, go, and we'll both say it at the same sure. time. Let's see if we got it. Okay, three. Uh, or how should we do this? I'll do three, two, one, and then we'll both say it. Okay. How about that? Okay, three, two, one. Missing world you. spins madly on. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I knew yours would be missing yeah. you. I knew it. How, how did you know? I just knew it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> Why? Because I like to see people get wet and kissing. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's epic. That's one of my favorites. I love Missing You by Tyler Hilton. Like the kisses in the rain. It's it's so great. Uh-huh. And like, it's just like, you know, I love when Haley's like, I get chills every time Haley says, no, you don't need all that stuff. You got me. And I'm just like, oh, like, who doesn't want a moment like this? It is epic. It's so beautiful. It is absolutely epic. 
So I loved, yes, I loved that song. Absolutely. I also loved, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work my way back. I also loved okay. Think of You by Reeve Carney, which was playing when Peyton, or Ellie was brushing Peyton's hair. It was just like a really oh, okay. tender song that fit the moment. I really enjoyed it. I also really loved, of course, Here Comes a Regular by The Replacements, which, oh, yeah, I mean, I it was though. perfectly placed, um, paired with the directing of the scene. Obviously, so sad, but, like, gorgeous. And, obviously, that song had meaning because it was re- referenced earlier in the episode. Mm-hmm. Um, I ultimately chose World Spins Madly On by The Weepies. Yes, tell the people why. I, you know, this song will come on shuffle, and... It's like one of those songs where I just think of the moment instantly. Mm. You know, I have a ton of One Tree Hill songs. And over time, like a lot of them, the scenes have faded away <laughs> in my head because I have so many. <laughs> I have so many songs. Not just like the, the top ones. Of course, I always remember. But like, I feel like this one is like a lesser known song, but it's one that just like stayed in my head. As soon as it comes on, I envision Peyton in that meadow standing there by herself and... I don't know. I can't like separate the two. I feel like the lyrics even fit it perfectly. Like it starts off, woke up. I wish that I was dead. There was an aching in my head. I lay motionless in bed. And then I can't remember the rest of the lyrics. Crap. Let me look it up. I only know the chorus. Uh, Thought of you and where you'd gone and the world spins spins mad. Yeah, I think that was the rest of it, actually. It just fits the moment so well because like, Ellie has died and Peyton's world is, you know, it's still going. It's still going. She still needs to live it. And um, that's all she can really do right now uh, is move on. And I I just felt like it fit the moment so well. I love it. (laughs) I'm very passionate about the music in this episode because all four of those moments were so good to me. And me, I'm just, I just want somebody to kiss me in the rain while Tyler Hilton you. is singing in my you. ear. Okay. You know, I really want to know how you thought, how you knew I was going to say that. <laughs> oh, I knew. I knew. Okay. I guess. You're so. not going to provide like evidence. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I don't really have just... evidence. I just knew that you would love like the sweeping romance of it all. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, that's a Jeremy moment right there. Like, I know it. I know it. Okay, cool. Well, my brand is strong and I'm, I'm happy for that. I support it. <sighs> I mean, I love well, it too. It's like really hard to choose. I there was so oh the music oh everything about this episode the writing the music the directing just the showing and not telling which we already said a million times. <laughs> the women are good at doing this. I notice like the women writers are good at showing and not telling. And I don't know like you know maybe I'm being too gendered with my language right there, but like I want to know like why that is. I feel like I'd be interested in dissecting the reason why women do that better than most men do. Yeah, that's a good point. At least in the ca- in the case of this show, I can't like name anything specific, you know. <laughs> but it was fantastic. It really was. I wonder if the next episode will be fantastic. I wonder. I'm running out of ways to like transition to the spoiler segment. <laughs> <laughs> Am I transitioning? <laughs> yeah, so this is the part right now where we hear the music. Like, <laughs> the music is going to fade out. And it's going to have an outro, okay? <laughs> Always and Forever is on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at AlwaysOTHpod. You can also email us at AlwaysOTHpod at gmail.com. I'm Jeremy Rodriguez, and you can find me on Twitter at Rodriguez Jeremy. 
And I'm Caitlin Elenich, and you can find me on Twitter at Miss I Reads. Outside of following our socials, the easiest way to support us is by rating and reviewing us on Apple Podcasts. That helps One Tree Hill fans new and old find us. You can also support us via Patreon, where for as low as $2 a month, you can gain access to bonus content, our private Discord server where you can chat with us and other listeners, and early episode releases. Visit patreon.com slash alwaysothpod for more information. Now, if you don't want future episodes of One Tree Hill to be spoiled for you, now is the time to turn this podcast off. Otherwise, stay tuned for the spoiler segment after the music ends. We'll We'll be be seeing seeing ya. Welcome to the spoiler segment of Always and Forever. This is your last reminder to turn off the podcast if you do not want spoilers. Ugh, so the first bullet point, what the fuck is up with this ledger? I don't, I don't have any answers or anything. I just put that there. I don't even care if we talk about it, honestly. <laughs> what happens the rest of the season with the ledger? I think it really is just I, used to support Dan's theory that Keith's out to get him. That's all I think it does. I am pretty certain that Dan confronts Keith in episode 15, and I think Dan ends up burning it. Because I think he says, oh, you should move on, Danny. So, like, uh, now with that ledger burned, there is no evidence that proves, like, Dan's a criminal now. And that, of course, he ends up killing Keith, and now there really is nothing to, like, hold against Dan anymore. There's no smoking gun. But it's a fake Dan ledger. Anymore. But is it real? I think we're allowed to believe it's real now. So it was fake, and then it's real, and then, oh my gosh, yeah. Because I remember in season two, because I, I remember, um, because remember Dan was, like, pissed off when, he was pissed off when Lucas found the ledger. And then he ends up revealing that it's fake. But Is that just a cover-up? I th- Yeah, I think that was a cover-up for the very real ledger that he has. So now Lucas is under the impression that there's a fake ledger. Or, yeah, he's under the impression that there was just a fake ledger. But now Keith, I don't know, somehow Keith got the real ledger? And when I'm did this so real bored. Even hearing you talk about it, I'm so bored. <laughs> I'm like, I don't want to, I don't even care about making sense of it. Yeah, I don't care. So, I don't at all. Um... But anyway, moving on. So Peyton talks to Ellie and says that there is a, there was this guy. There is this guy. Who do you think she is talking about? Legitimately. That's a legit question. Because it's kind of ambiguous whether she's talking about Jake or Lucas. It's very ambiguous. Um, I want to believe that she's talking about Jake because it just makes more sense that she would be talking about Jake since she lost him last season. Yeah. Uh, to me, it, it seems weird that it would be Lucas suddenly. Even though I know there's like, there was hint, there's been hints with like, uh, the, her Peyton's angel of death, you know, have, when she was talking to her and was like, you know, should I be with Lucas instead of Brooke or blah, blah, blah. Yeah. So there's been like, like subtle hints recently, but to me, it makes more sense that she would be talking about Jake. Yeah. So I actually think it makes more sense for her to be talking about Lucas because if you think about it, like, she says that she let this guy go. She didn't really let Jake go. Jake, like, left, and, like, Peyton didn't really have a choice in the matter. But Lucas, she actually did let him go back in season one, if you think about it, because she chose to focus on her friendship with Brooke, which, that was a good decision. But maybe she's questioned, maybe yeah. she shouldn't have done that. Huh, yeah. Or maybe she wants to believe that she's talking about Jake, but she's really talking about Lucas. Because we, you know, this whole season, like, we know that over the summer, Peyton and Lucas were, they grew close, 
but as friends. There has been no hints that there has been tension between them, and I don't feel like there's been any, like, lingering looks or moments where, like, oh, is something happening here between them? Like, is there some kind of vibe? I ha- There hasn't yeah. been anything this season. Yeah, but that doesn't mean Peyton's not feeling anything. No, it doesn't, but that's what makes this even more ambiguous, because... I mean, I guess, actually, there is one scene. It's the premiere when Lucas says to Peyton... Our history will always be there or something, yeah. Yeah, something along the lines, like, it's always going to be... Our history is always going to be there, which is what you just said. I, I, I can't remember the exact line, but... Yeah. That's really the only, like, inkling we've gotten. I don't know. Hmm. Maybe she means, like, if she's referring to Jake, maybe she means that, like, she didn't let Jake go, but she didn't go after Jake. But Jake didn't want her to. So it's very confusing. What Do the writers actually know at this point? I wonder. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I mean, it's it's left ambiguous on purpose, which very, that, that's very smart, I think. And I like that, like, fans could probably, you know, be giving out, like, a ton of theories on, yeah. like, what, who, or who Peyton is talking about. So... It's something that we can figure out at all tomorrow's parties, though, which is the title of our next episode, season three, episode 14. We'll be discussing that next time. And that's a much lighter episode. <laughs> yeah. Minus the heroine. Oh, gosh. <laughs> <laughs> and taking. I'm making jokes about heroin. Oh, Lord. <laughs> anyway. And taken from our OTH DVD box sets, the description reads. Everyone has a great time at the Charlotte Cheerleading Tournament, meeting old friends and making new ones. Meanwhile, Brooke is 600 miserable miles away, partying with a Manhattan model with a heroin habit. We'll, we'll be, be seeing, seeing ya! ya! Oh, yeah, I caught you, I caught you there. <laughs> Trickery. 